So she, that's Ruth, gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law, that's Naomi, saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth, the Moabite, said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. How diverse it is in all the areas of our life that it speaks to. And uh, we thank you that your word uh, is always challenging us and also comforting us at the same time. And so we pray for your spirit uh, now to come and uh, accompany your word, attend to your word, teach us your word as we give our minds uh, to study the very word of God. And we pray that uh, we would uh, not leave studying your word unchanged, but that you would transform us, transform our minds, transform our hearts and our wills, that we would turn away from sin and, and put our trust in your steadfast love and faithfulness. Be our guide now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So in our uh, generation, uh, one of our favorite spiritual words that we use in the church is the word brokenness. You know, if any of you are in a home group, you might have come away from a home group and say, you know, that was such a great home group because someone opened up and they were so honest about their brokenness. And you, what, how do we respond to that? We say, yeah, that's powerful, right? Because someone was honest about their brokenness. We all have some sense in which we are broken. There's something broken about us. It's a very powerful word. But what exactly does it, what does brokenness mean exactly? You know, I, I can kind of understand if an arm is broken, right? What does an arm broken mean? I know what that means. And so I, and then I know what an arm being healed means is, you know, the two parts of the bone are separated and now we're going to put them back together. But what is a broken soul? What does that mean for a soul to be uh, broken? Which may be an important question uh, for many of you to think about. You know, I, you might say, I sense that there's something broken in me, but I don't really understand what's broken, and therefore I don't really know what to do about it. Well, as I've um, thought about this question, I've come to decide that the best de- definition for brokenness that I've heard is that a broken soul is a soul that does not trust in the goodness of God. A broken soul is a soul that does not trust in the goodness of God. Of God, 
which means, to some degree, actually, we're all born broken. That's one of the things that the Bible says, is that we're all born with a sinful nature, an unbelieving heart. So the most natural thing for us to do is to be distrustful of God, to not trust in Him, to not trust that He's good. So we're already kind of broken when we're born, and then we're born into a world that's, you know, violent and uh, difficult, and so we have all these experiences that we have in our life of disappointment, of shame, and all these painful things that we have in our life seem to be a confirmation to us that God is not good. And so because of the hurt that we experience in our life, we begin to trust God less. We trust in his goodness even less. So we become more broken. In this regard, um, Naomi, in this story, she comes into this story as a broken person. And uh, actually the book of Ruth opens by saying that Naomi had run away from, uh, there was a famine in God's promised land, and she'd run away to Moab, to another land. And so she'd run away from God and from his people. And actually, um, running away from God and his people is an indicator of brokenness in a person. That's when you do when you don't trust someone, is you run away, right? So running away from God and from his people is an indication of brokenness. It's saying, I don't need you, so I will take care of things for myself. But in this passage that we're looking at now, Naomi is again in crisis. She doesn't have food. She doesn't have a husband to protect her or provide for her. She doesn't know what's going to happen, but she doesn't run away. She waits. She stays where she is. Something has changed in Naomi. Look at verse 21. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he, that's Boaz, said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young men, lest in another field you be assaulted. What we are seeing as a hint is that Naomi, who has been distrustful of God's goodness in the past, is now beginning to learn to trust and to wait and to be patient again. And I believe that what we see in this passage is that Naomi is starting to experience healing in her life. And um, some of you may be asking the question, what does it mean for me to experience healing in my life? What does healing look like? Um, I see that I, I don't trust in God's goodness, and therefore I have a tendency to run away from him and his people. How can I begin to trust and wait like Naomi is in this passage? How can that happen in my own life? It's a great question. Well, this morning, we're going to see just a couple. Uh, we're going to answer that question by answering two questions that are, I think are brought up in this passage. First, what produces healing in our life? What produces healing? If, I, you know, if I'm going to experience that transformation of beginning to trust in God again, what, ha- what has to happen in my life? What produces that? But secondly, when that does happen, what produces healing? What does healing then produce? What produces healing, and what does healing produce? What does my life look like once I've experienced some healing? So two profound questions, and I think we have profound answers in this passage. So first question, what produces healing in our life? And a couple answers we see in this passage is that first, healing comes from experiencing God's faithfulness. Healing comes to your heart and your soul when you experience God's faithfulness in your life. Now, if you remember back to 
chapter 21, if you've been with us in the Ruth study, uh, Naomi had come, you know, she left Moab, and she'd come back to her hometown of Bethlehem. And it, she gives this little speech to the people in the hometown that are welcoming them, and she's actually very bitter towards the Lord. Let me read to you again what she says. This is chapter 1, verse 19. Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the, Lord, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So she's just verbally saying that uh, God does not intend good things for her. God is against her. But as we look at this passage, actually, her tone has changed. The way she talks about the Lord has changed. Look at verse 19 in the passage we're looking at now. Chapter 2, verse 19. And her mother-in-law, that's Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom uh, she had worked and said, The man's name whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, and listen to how she describes the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Something's happened where she says, God has actually not forsaken me. God has been kind to me. And she actually prays a blessing over uh, Boaz. And so the question is, what's created this change in her tone from her saying, I'm bitter and the Lord has dealt bitterly with me, to now the Lord has kindness has not forsaken me. He's been with me. What's created this change in her life? And I think the uh, reason she believes that the Lord has been kind to her is because she's experienced tangible provisions in her life. She has had experience of God being faithful to her, not just in a kind of spiritual way, but actually tangibly there are certain deeds that God has done for her that have been kind to her, and she could name them. And um, I believe this is the key to experiencing healing in your life. If you, in order for you to experience healing, you need to see that God is actually alive, that God attends to you, that God listens to you, and God is actually active and involved in your life. You have to experience that. This is what the psalmist says in, in, uh, in uh, Psalm 116. It's one of my favorite psalms. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. And so what's happened to Naomi is that she had nothing. She was poor and she's taken a risk and she, she's homeless and she's a widow. And what happened? The Lord brought Boaz along and he's given her food. There's been tangible provision for her. And I'll just tell you, actually, I know I've shared this with you, but this, was, this is actually how I became a Christian. I, I, had, uh, I, w- I was an atheist um, in my adolescence. And I was in a lot of trouble. I was a troubled teen. I got sent away to a troubled teen school where I was supposed to change my life, and I couldn't change my life. And so a friend of mine had been a Christian. He said, you know, you should try praying. And so I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I, I cannot change my life. So I'm going to actually just go into my day. This is what I said one morning. I'm just going to go into my day, and I'm just going to trust that you're going to do something. I don't even know if you exist, but I'm just going to trust that you do something. And I found in tangible ways I'd make a new friend. Or I was laughing, and I actually had a good afternoon or something like that. And I could say, the Lord, he didn't just love me in some spiritual way. They were tangible things. He put a person in my life. He actually gave me a good day. Now listen, were all my troubles taken away? No. 
I was still sent away in a troubled teen program. I was still depressed and, you know, stoner punk kid trying to figure out my life. There were still all kinds of problems, but I saw that God did attend to me and that he would be faithful to me. And it was that experience that was the beginning of healing in my own life. And uh, this is true also with Naomi and Ruth's. Uh, their problems were not immediately resolved, right? Um, they were still poor. Uh, they didn't know what their long-term future was. Actually, you, you notice at the end of this passage, it has a little note, and it says in verse 23, and she lived with her mother-in-law. That's Ruth lived with her mother-in-law, and that's a little uh, clue to say, you know what, she still doesn't have a husband, she still doesn't have a protector, she still doesn't have a job or an income. There's still a lot of question marks happening. It's not that God has resolved all the crisis in their life, but God has begun to show himself to be faithful and present and attending to them. And the process of healing, in the midst of a, you know, a violent world, a, a world that's filled with disappointments, it's filled with uh, people that mistreat us and all kinds of things that don't go the way we want, it is finding over and over again in the midst of that cursed world that God indeed is faithful to his promises and that he is with us and that, he is, uh, and that we can trust him. And so the question I have for you, have you experienced the faithfulness of God in your life so that you have come to trust in his goodness? Have you experienced God's faithfulness in tangible ways in your life? Some of you say, absolutely. I can easily recount to you countless times that I've, seen, I've needed the Lord and he's been there for me. And that he is the only one I can trust. Where else am I going to go? The Lord is all I have. Some of you may say, no. I don't know if I have experienced God's faithfulness in life. I don't know if I have. And um, how can you then experience God's faithfulness. How can that happen if you're saying, I'm not sure if I have, or I haven't noticed it, maybe. I'm not aware of it. How can you experience his faithfulness? Well, this is the answer that I think the scriptures give, is that actually you have to, in some degree, venture on the Lord. There has to be some element of risk in your life where you put yourself out there and trust him. I mean, that was a small element, you know, when I was sharing my story that I said, you know, Lord, I'm going to go into my day trusting you're going to do something. There's a small level of risk. He might not do something. So I'm depending on him. And, you know, Ruth and Naomi in this story, they had to venture on the Lord, right? They were living in Moab. They had nothing. And they're going to, they're going to, um, move, you know, they're going to be very vulnerable, they're going to move to a a new people group, into a new culture, and they have nothing, and they have no husbands, and they're poor, and then once they got there, there's, you know, in the beginning of chapter two, it says that Ruth says, you know what, we don't have any food, I'm just going to go out to some field, and I hope someone's going to show favor, I'm going to find favor in someone's eyes, hopefully someone's going to be kind to me, I'm just going to show up there, and hopefully someone will be kind to me, and what happens? The Lord was there, he did take care of them. And it's that seeing in that venturing that they experienced God's faithfulness. Now, I know that for some of you, some of you might say, you know, I haven't experienced God's faithfulness. And you may feel somewhat justified in not trusting God. You might say, there's been all kinds of disappointments in my life. There were things that I wanted God to come through on, and he didn't. I wanted that job. I, it was perfect, my gifts and everything. It would have been perfect for me, and I would have loved doing that job. And I didn't get it, and I prayed for it, and he didn't give it to me. Or, you know, I wanted that spouse. I wanted that so bad, and there's just been disappointment after disappointment. 
Let me say this. The Lord does give us many things that he doesn't promise, but those things he has not promised to us. God's faithfulness is in the things that he has promised to us. We have to ask the question, what things has God promised to us? And, you know, for Naomi, this kind of adventure that they went on, where they ventured on the Lord, and they said, you know what, we're going to move back to the promised land, we have nothing, and then we're just going to show up in the field. There's actually, God gives promise to that, right? Jesus says, seek first my kingdom, Right? There's an act of repentance there where they were leaving Moab, which is a foreign country that worshiped foreign gods, and we're going to go back to our God. We're going to return to God and his people. There's an act of repentance there. And Jesus says, if you seek first my kingdom, all of your other needs will be cared for. Your food, your clothing, your shelter, these will be cared for. God will provide for you. And so it's in that act of seeking, seeking God's kingdom that we will see his faithfulness. This is what Jesus says, John 15. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You see what he says? If you abide in me and you abide in my words, you put the words of Jesus into practice, you will see so many prayers answered. You will see that God is with you and faithful and your heart will soften towards him and you will begin to rest in his goodness. So part of the question is then, where is God asking you to venture on him, to take a risk for him? Let me just throw out a couple thoughts, you know. You need to think about where it is in your own life. Some of you, maybe you're a wife, and you know, the Bible says this hard command to submit to your husbands, respect your husbands, follow their leadership. There's a tremendous amount of risk in doing that. I know it's a tremendously hard thing. The Bible admits that. It's, 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 the Bible says it's roughly equivalent to uh, Jesus going to the cross, actually, in, uh, in 1 Peter 2 and 3. He says, you're being like Jesus going to the cross when you submit to your husbands. And because, you know, he may be a doofus in some kind of ways. We're all a little doofus, you know. And so there's an element where you say, to, to submit to my husband is a tremendous act of trust in the Lord and the trust in his goodness that if I do this, the Lord will be with me. Jesus promised me that if I abide in his words, then I will have abundant life and abundant joy. The only way to do that is to trust him and see how does God show up when you do that. Some of you may be in a relationship that's fractured. And Jesus says, you know, if you come to the altar and you remember there that someone has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go first be reconciled to that person and then come and offer your gift. And so for some of you to go face that difficult relationship that you have that you're in conflict with, and you don't even want to talk to that person, you don't want to think about it, it's so painful, you have to take a huge risk to go and face that person and say, you know what, I'm not going to fight against them, and I'm not going to run away from them. I'm going to sit and seek reconciliation. That's a hard thing. You need to trust in the Lord's goodness and see that he will show up, that he will give you words, he will give you grace, he will give you strength. And he will be with you. And when you find out that he is with you, he promises to be with you, and he always makes good on his promises, your heart will begin to trust in his goodness, and your life will begin to be healed. And so healing begins by trusting, is, is by experiencing God's faithfulness in your life in tangible ways. Experiencing God's faithfulness in your lives in, in, in tangible ways. And I just want to say also, you know, that the church, this community here, should be a place where people are regularly risking and venturing on the Lord. I mean, for some of you, just being here in this room might be a great 
active venturing and risking, like going, maybe, maybe you're a visitor here and there's a bunch of strangers and you say, I'm going to go put myself a bunch of, bunch of strangers and try to build new relationships. You know, maybe for some of you, going to a home group is intimidating. You're venturing on the Lord and you're putting yourself among other people, you know, and, and you're trusting God to say, God, show me your goodness. Show me your faithfulness when I go and do that. Every time you do that and God shows his faithfulness to you, your soul is being healed. And for some of you, it could be confessing a sin. There may be some sin in your life that you say, you know, I'm, I'm trying to manage this, and I can't. I need some help. And so to go and tell someone, hey, will you be a part of this? Will you help me with this? Will you help me think through this? And it's very vulnerable. It's a very hard thing to admit that thing. You're venturing on the Lord. These are all things the Lord's commanded you to do. And if you do these things and trust him, you will find his faithfulness in your life. Okay? And so, as a church, we have the opportunity to make this a safe place for people to venture and to risk. But what that also means is that, you know, that, uh, the first answer to the question is what produces healing in our life is experiencing God's faithfulness. But something that goes along with that is not just experiencing God's faithfulness, but also healing comes from experiencing the kindness of others. And that's an important piece as well. It's not just that the Lord is faithful to us, but the Lord is faithful to us through the kindness of others. And you know, I mentioned at, at the beginning of this, uh, at the beginning of the sermon, how I was saying that brokenness, brokenness is, is not trusting in the goodness of God. And how when, you know, many of us, many of you have maybe lived in environments, maybe in your childhood you lived in an environment that was just filled with assault. Words, harsh words, maybe physical harshness against you. And that aggravated that distrust in you. And uh, these assaults on who we are, you know, when people are, are harsh with us, uh, they don't care about us, they mistreat us, they neglect us, it ca- encourages us to put protections around us to keep us from trusting ourselves to others. And so um, it's, not in, it's not simply that God intends us to experience his faithfulness kind of you know, just through trusting in him. But he also intends for us to experience healing through the kindness of others, and especially through the kindness of his people, through other Christians. He expects us to experience healing. And, and this was true with Naomi. This was a big part of the softening of her heart, was experiencing uh, the kindness of Boaz. Look at, look at verse 17. So Ruth gleaned in the field in, until evening, and she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. It's about 40 pounds of barley. I, you know, if you've ever picked up a 10-pound bag of potatoes, it's actually quite heavy. It's a lot of potato. And this is 40 pounds of barley. That's a lot of barley. I mean, she's coming away. She's loaded on her back, and, you know, Boaz hooked her up here. And, uh, and, she, and she took it up and went into the city, her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. It was amazing to her that someone had taken notice of Ruth and taken notice of them and their need and cared for them. They'd stopped their busy life. They'd stopped all their work to look at them and attend to them. It was very powerful. And when someone takes notice of us, you know, the hardened protection that we have around that we keep people at a distance is softened. When someone is kind to us. We begin to let down the protection. And that's a, that's a part of our healing. But, you know, this raises a, a challenge 
about the process of healing, right? Because if we say, okay, healing comes from experiencing God's faithfulness and experiencing the kindness of others, both of those things are out of my control, right? I can't control God's faithfulness. I can't control the kindness of others. Um, these, neither, both of these things are not things that I do. They're things that other people do for me. And so I'm completely out of control. And this is actually one of the most important truths in the whole Bible, is that the Bible is insistent that you cannot heal yourself. That is a very countercultural statement. Our, our culture says, you, you know, get a self-help book, you can read something, you can set some goals for your life, and you can put your life together. And the Bible says, no, you can't. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Healing is a gift that God gives to us. And so, that raises a question, though. So, okay, I realize I'm broken. I realize I need healing. So what do I do about it, then? If, it's, <laughs> if I can't heal myself, can I do anything? And I think the answer is, to that is that then I need to put myself in places where I can experience these things. The thing that you can do is you can put yourself in places where you experience God's faithfulness and you experience the kindness of God's people. That's what you can do, is you show up, right? That's what Ruth did. She showed up in the field where Boaz was. She just put herself there, and she had to wait and, and trust. Hopefully someone's going to, you know, I'm going to find favor with someone. And, um, and this is what happens when you take the words of Jesus and to begin to put them into practice in your life. He puts you in situations where you have to trust on God's faithfulness. And when you uh, come to church and you're part of a church, you put yourself in a home group or something like that. You're putting yourself in a place where you can experience the kindness of God's people. And it's, it's God's word, it's his promises, it's God's people, together with the Holy Spirit, that begin to work healing in our souls. So that's how healing happens. What produces healing? It's experiencing the faithfulness of God, and it's experiencing the kindness of his people. Together, produces healing in our hearts that softens our hearts to begin to trust the Lord. But when I've experienced those two things, I've experienced that God really is faithful to his promises, like every time he really comes through. And I experienced that there really is God works kindness in other people's. How does that affect me? What kind of transformation does that produce in my life? And we see a few interesting things describing a healed life in this passage. So first, what produces healing? Second, what does healing produce? And just briefly, uh, three things I want to point out in this passage. Um, the first thing that healing produces is that healing lets you have relationships. Healing frees you to draw close to people. And actually, if you remember back in ch chapter 21, you know, I, re I read that, that passage where Naomi comes back to her hometown and she says, the Lord's dealt bitterly with me. I went away full and I've come home empty and he's brought calamity on me and she's just bitter. Right? And she says that line that I went away full and I've come back empty, which, which really meant, you know, I went away with a husband and I had these two sons and now I'm coming back. I'm the only one living in my family. And, but, you know, of course, just before that passage, uh, Ruth had sworn to Naomi, I'm going to stay with you your whole life until I die. I'm giving my whole life to you until you die. And you read the passage and you're like, you know, Naomi, Ruth's kind of standing there saying, well, I'm alive too. What about me, Naomi? You know, you, don't, you said you're empty and you don't have anything. And it's like she's blind to Ruth. She doesn't even realize that the Lord's brought a daughter to her. She's not alone. 
That's changing in this, in this passage. Look at verse 20. May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Now you can't see this in English. That word the living in Hebrew is, is plural. There's two living people that the Lord has taken care of. I'm not the only living one in the family. Ruth is there. Her heart is opened up to this relationship. There are two of us. And now, as, as Naomi's experiencing this healing, she is able to have relationships again because there's a softening that's happening in her. And putting yourself in the place of receiving healing through God and his people will free you to be close to others. Okay? So the first thing is that healing lets you have relationship. The second thing that healing produces is that healing lets you persevere. Persevere. Perseverance is an important part of the Christian life. Look at verse 22. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with the young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women uh, of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. And so at this point in the passage, there's still all kinds of questions with them. They're still poor. They don't have husbands. They don't know what's going to happen to Naomi's you know, inheritance in the, the land that they own. But there's a sense of determination about them. Don't you hear that? They're like, all right, God's alive. God's working. God's caring for us. Let's stick with the plan. Let's go to work every day. Let's get the things done. There's a waiting and a patience and a working and a trusting, a continuing on. I'll just tell you, one of the marks of brokenness in our life is a lack of long-term faithfulness, long-term commitment. People have a, when we have a lot of brokenness in our life, we are kind of bouncing around to one exciting thing after the other. We don't stay in relationships long-term. We don't stay in communities long-term. Maybe we don't stay in jobs long-term. And, uh, and we're always kind of running away and bouncing to the next thing. But the experience of the Christian life is a pilgrim life. It's a life of long-term, determined, persevering, enduring, steadfastness, waiting for God to work. And uh, that's one of the things that when God brings healing into our life and that we really believe that God is good and that he can be trusted, he works in us a perseverance that, we can have, that, we're, that our life will become enduring. Which means that, this might be an important thing for you to know, that a healed life doesn't look like dramatic life change. You might think that when God brings healing to your life, it's going to be like a lightning bolt. It's going to be this healing. and every, All of a sudden, everything's changed. That's not what it looks like. A healed life looks like continuing on. It looks like perseverance. And in particular, the thing that we are waiting for is our redemption. Listen, this is Romans 8.23. We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. We are waiting. That's the experience of the Christian life is perseverance and ongoing, continuing on and waiting for the redemption of our bodies. But the reason that we persevere is because of the third thing that healing gives to our lives is that healing lets you begin to hope again. And I know, you know, for many of you, many of us, I've struggled with this in my own life, uh, struggled with depression. And one of the ways that you can almost define depression is a sense of hopelessness. Uh, you know, nothing is going to go well. 
And one of the things that God's healing in our life brings is a renewed sense of hope of where I'm going, what God has for me in the future. And you'll notice that little, you might have caught that when I read this passage in verse 20. Naomi also says, the man, this is Boaz, is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And what she's talking about there, this is actually uh, an idea in, in ancient Israel of the kinsman redeemer. We're going to talk more about this in chapter 4. But what she's talking about is that in ancient Israel, there could be, if you had a close relative uh, who could take on the debt, of, you know, if, if a man dies or if someone's lost their inheritance, someone could take on the debt for his relative so that they don't lose their inheritance, that they become a redeemer for their, their close relative. And so in this statement, when Naomi says, that man that you met in the field, He's one of our redeemers. He's one of our close relatives. There's one that can set us free. There's one that can give us hope. That can renew our life. There's one who can save us. And of course, this is one of the great Old Testament types of Jesus. Jesus, who was God, who was rich, became a man. Jesus was God himself. He became a man. He became one of our close relatives so that he could take on our debt on the cross and set us free from our brokenness and give us an inheritance, right? This is what uh, Isaiah 53 says. With his wounds, we are healed. And uh, it is Jesus is the one who is the ultimate healer. And so let me just say, at the end of this, as uh, you think about healing in your life and you realize, I cannot heal myself. What can I do? You put yourself around Jesus. You put yourself around the Redeemer. And you stay with Him. And He will bring profound healing into your life. And He will restore to you hope. That's what God wants to give you. That's the story of the book of Ruth. And that's the story of the Gospel. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank You for Your Word, how rich it is. What hope it gives to us how honest it is about our lives. I pray for those who are here who sense that there may be uh, profound aspects of brokenness in their own souls. And they may even uh, feel that they don't understand that brokenness. They don't know what to do about it. I pray that even this week, you would give them experiences of your faithfulness you would challenge them to venture on you, to, to risk and to trust you, to put your words into practice, to put themselves among your people, and that they would see that you are kind to them and that you would surround them with the kindness of your people as well. And Lord, would you make us as a church into a, a, a people that are beginning to experience that healing um, and so that we would have relationships, that we would persevere as we look forward to the day of our ultimate healing the redemption of our bodies in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.